the greatest transfer of wealth is happening right now. So we're seeing that in the real estate world of, you know, the baby boomers that are looking to get rid of their properties or the silent generation that, you know, has recently passed and the baby boomers inherited the property and don't know what to do with it. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercos, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I am one of your hosts, Dan Habercost, along here with uh, Mason McDonald. How's it going, Mason? It's going well. It's going well. I'm excited to talk about this topic that we're going to get into in just a moment. Agreed, agreed. And today we're going to talk a little bit about direct-to-seller marketing and why this is one of the most important skills you could ever learn if you want to start any sort of real estate business. Oh yeah. Where I think, you know, and it'll be fun to break it down, but I think uh, so many people in the marketing world are trying to get customers that are looking to buy their product as versus us who are looking to get customers of which their product we're going to buy. So super crucial, super necessary. And I think one of the reasons uh, most people will either be very successful in this business or completely fail. Yeah, agreed 100%. Because even if you're not trying to buy a piece of land or an apartment off market, let's say you're a realtor, you still need people that want to sell their properties. And so this is applicable to pretty much everyone within real estate. And it all starts with getting a good deal, especially in our in our business. And and I think I remember one or one of my early memories uh, with one of my older friends was just looking at properties on the market and him pointing one out that was not on the market. And I said, well, hey, this that's not for sale. And he just smiles and goes, every property is for sale. And when you understand how to go direct to seller, that it really is true. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and the idea of getting a good deal, like you have to recognize that marketing is an emotional play whether it's going to be for you as the business owner or for your potential customer being on the sales side, it's an emotional place. So don't think that everything is going to be a good deal. And, you know, I think you hear a lot of this stuff about, you know, buy the crappiest house in the nicest neighborhood, you know, buy this, buy that, whatever you think is a good deal. Everything can potentially make money. uh, But a lot of the times, if you're just looking to get a good deal, and it's not based in reality or based in your numbers, I don't I don't think you're going to be able to actually effectively do any of this because I can tell you so many times where on mailing campaigns or, you know, different marketing campaigns where I thought I crushed it, uh, where I got all these amazing responses back on these blind offer campaigns where I did in this one subdivision in Colorado, and I got like 40 signed letters back. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be rich because I thought I priced everything at 30 cents on the dollar. And I realized I priced it at about 130 cents on the dollar. And it's uh, just one of those things of, you know, make sure that regardless of, you know, as you're developing these skills and techniques that we're about to get into, that your numbers are not going to be strayed by any early success that you might have where you actually got lucky rather than, you know, an example of the skills. So, but Dan, you know, what, what is... I guess, you know, within direct to seller marketing, where we're attempting to buy, you know, and specifying to the niche of land investing or land flipping, 
who is it we're trying to buy land from? And I know we did a whole episode exactly on this, but who is it we're trying to buy land from? And let's maybe walk through those examples and kind of talk about the actual marketing techniques that you use, and then we'll use the skills associated with those individual techniques. Absolutely. So big picture, it's just creating inventory that is not currently available on market. So we're going after all those people who own the asset that we want, but don't have it listed. Uh, so that you know, high level is really what we're talking about. And so easy example, let me use uh, something I'm doing right now. I'm looking for a multifamily lot, Pueblo West or several ideally to put apartments on. This would actually be ones we build on, we keep. And so I, uh, specific again to the context of land, pulled a list of everyone who owned multifamily lots three or more years who didn't have it on the MLS. And to be clear, it's a small, small list. So ha- I couldn't really go for the lowest hanging f- fruit like I might be able to in a different market where go much longer owned, you know, out of state owners, so on and so forth. Uh, but that is the specific list I pulled in this specific market. And then from there, it's w- what's the medium that makes the most sense to contact these people? Should I try and, you know, do Facebook ads? Do I call them? Do I send mailers? And, you know, as we talked about on the other episode that Mason referenced, these are generally older people and calling and or uh, mail works the best. So for this list, started with mailers, but I also have somebody cold calling them. Uh, so I'm going direct to seller to buy a multifamily lot because there's none available on market. So, you know, see whether it's a cold call or whether it's a piece of direct mail with this particular avatar that you've created or not created exactly. Let's define what that avatar is. Who is the person that has owned for at least three years? And my guess is a lot longer than that most of the time with your business. Multi-family land in Pueblo, Colorado. Who is that person? Define that avatar for me. Yeah, so the people I've identified, interestingly enough, are often not sophisticated. They're not investors, and I wonder why or how they bought it. Many times, it's people who... It's the same people who own some of the single family lots where they were out of state or out of county a lot of times, not always, and somebody sold them the dream or the investment. Hey, this is going to go up in value. You should buy this. You know, what are they, what's that dumb saying? Buy land. They're not making any more of it. It's misleading. Uh, anyways, hey, don't hit on Mark Twain, man. I think every Mark trade is, Mark Twain has been, uh, I think the, uh, every quote's attributed to him is what I was trying to say. But anyways. And, and so it tends to be an unsophisticated demographic. There are exceptions. There are some people that know what they're doing and, and were intending to build and something changed, but it's pretty much the same demographic who owns just the single family lots that they bought 20 years ago for you know, building their own house. And that right there, though, I think is really important as you start developing these skills. So I, I think we can kind of, you know, the, the unsophisticated person that might live out of state, out of county, that have owned the property for 10, 15, 20 years, the multifamily landowner versus the single family landowner, I think for me personally, I would have I would have a different approach for each of them, regardless of their sophistication level, where for the single family homeowner, you know, and to, to go into some of the skills associated with it, something that I really talk about is I bring emotion into the conversation where for a lot of business out here in Colorado, I mean, Colorado is a retirement location. It's a vacation destination. So many, so many people that I talk to or used to talk to whenever I, I didn't 
delegate um, this this responsibility out, they were sold on a dream, you know, is one of the words you said yeah. there. And so I remind them of what that dream was of, you know, and, and I use this very specific language whenever I talk to a seller of what was your intended plans with your land. And it reminds them of they're not using it. And something that I use a lot in my yep. business is, especially with the single family, with the the investment properties, to me, it's more of a numbers game and it's a little more hardcore in the negotiation um, from that standpoint. But with these single family, you know, vacant lots, I will tie, you know, tie it back to the emotion, remind them of what was their plan. And then, you know, language that I use in my marketing and in my business is the idea of stewardship of, well, you know, you've owned this land for 20 or 30 years. Don't you think another family would like to enjoy it? And someone that's ready to develop to develop it and someone that's ready to build on it to remind them like, you're not using it anymore. You're getting older. Your kids don't want it. And it's not mean. It's just, hey, like it's kind of like I wouldn't use this word, but it's selfish of you to own this land forever. And especially if you are unsophisticated, my guess is you know, to make an assumption, you haven't set up your trust appropriately or, you know, your will might not be ideal. And then it's just going to go to probate and it's going to be a big pain in the ass for your family down the road. So I think, you know, pulling at the heartstrings a little bit can be really, really effective as long as you don't get overly tied into it and it affects your decisions from a numbers standpoint. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that because we're both switching to new postcards, new marketing materials that subtly get them to acknowledge that, right? And that's really what negotiation often is, is very tactfully getting these people to, in specific to land, I'm talking, uh, acknowledge that they're never going to use it. They're wasting their time, their money, they're paying taxes, they are losing out on, you know, they could put the money elsewhere, somewhere where they know how to make a return. And so postcard, I believe Mason's using a very similar one says something along the lines of, are you going to build on your land? If not, put the money to work elsewhere and let us build on it. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's a good point. And also just specific to this market, I think in general, you're absolutely correct. The numbers or the approach is different between multifamily and single family. This market's just a little weird where it ended up with a lot of unsophisticated, non, not real investors owning multifamily land, but we don't need to get into that. That's just Pueblo, Colorado for you. But... Yeah, no, I, I think the postcard design of which I copy, I, I gave you the virtual assistant that did it. So I copied exactly Great. the template that <laughs> it's collaboration, but it's, you know, beyond, beyond the verbiage associated with it of like, Hey, like, you know, it, it comes across as way less scammy and the artwork and the design of it is very, very construction focused. And that was something that, you know, before I learned how to create a domain. And when I got started in this business, just using Gmail as my email address, um, my company name is RM Golden LLC. My Gmail was rmgoldenhomes at gmail.com. And the reason behind that was because it gave me such a huge negotiating chip on my shoulder because I would say, well, you know, Dan, you know, I'm looking at your land and just kind of working backwards from a numbers perspective for me, you know, I, I know it's going to cost about this much to finish the remaining horizontal infrastructure necessary. And, you know, my building costs are going to be about this much for it. Or I wouldn't say my building costs. I would say building costs would cost about this much for it. And that right there, I feel like will open up the conversation to so many of these people that are so, so, so used to 
these wholesalers that have heard about land flipping that come in and they're going to just try and get here to assign, you know, assign a contract and make a grand or two grand or 10 grand um, on some assignment fee. And they're the wholesalers in this business. I know you, um, you feel a certain way about them and I can't wait to <laughs> give you the mic back um, to talk about these people. But I think that right there will increase your legitimacy. And kind of after I let you just shred them apart, uh, we can talk a, a little bit more about how knowledge of a product uh, will distinguish you and differentiate you from everyone else that's uh, marketing to them. Yeah, I, I'm trying to bookmark. You made a lot of good points there. And one of the early ones I wanted to pull out is you mentioned scammy. It sounds way less scammy. And so there are a number of buzzwords I will not use in my postcards or mailers or cold call scripts anymore. Cash, investor, you know, an emphasis on super quick close. Uh, I'm trying to think those are the first ones that come to mind because again, what did Basin say earlier? These people have probably owned it for 10 or 20 years. Are they hurting financially? Maybe occasionally. Occasionally I'll get that sort of distress, but most of the time, no. And so they're looking for legitimacy as we've talked about many times. And so having postcards that focus on, hey, we build, that really makes a difference. Um, and so to Mason's point about wholesalers and to our overarching conversation about learning effective direct-to-seller marketing, well, you got to know your asset and you got to know who your uh, owner or avatar that owns that asset is. And so uh, these people that come from trying to wholesale or flip single family who often are targeting, you know, tax lien lists and foreclosure lists or whatever, it is often a matter of distress, whereas they move into land and it's not and they use wrong words, the wrong buzzwords, they sound scammy, and they get us deals. So that, that's fine. Um, and also, one more point you made that's really important is they don't know their asset. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we talked about this on any of our episodes, but it's in the last couple of weeks, I've had a bunch of people reach out to me that are in markets that I'm in saying, hey, can I send you deals? Can I send you deals? And one conversation in particular stands out as being really frustrating because I am looking for land there. It's where I'm looking for multifamily lots. And and I said, absolutely. Here's the zoning. Here, here's my requirements. He then goes on to send me land that doesn't fit what I just told him because he doesn't have a clue about land or what anything about utilities or building or plat maps, nothing. And so to effectively direct the seller market to any asset, you got to know what the heck you're dealing with. Exactly. It's, it's so frustrating to whenever you, you know, I, I think you, you and I have the tendency of like, just, just do it right the first time, you know, whenever you're establishing relationships, whenever you're creating businesses, businesses and business processes and flows and stuff like that, get something out there and then act and iterate from there. But if, you know, wholesalers, I think, God, I, I don't know, daily uh, will reach out to me via Facebook or LinkedIn or email or however they get my contact information. And it, it's exactly that. Are you looking for this type of thing in this place? And it's like, no, I'm not, but I'm looking for this. And then they'll proceed to send me, uh, you know, a duplex in, you know, uh, Wyoming or something. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. actually I would take a duplex in Wyoming probably, but it, it just doesn't make sense. And so I, I think whenever you see that to me, there, there's two things that should happen is you should get annoyed because people are wasting your time and time is the most valuable thing you have. And two, it should get you excited because that's your competition. And I think, you know, to, to dive into what I was talking about a little bit more is like, understand the business and understand what you're doing. And 
with with land in general, if you have that level of sophistication that can come from, if your marketing material is suggesting that you might be a developer or builder um, that would build on this land, you need to know what you're talking about. And I think, Dan, you have such a great knowledge of, you know, like we're talking about a specific market here. You know Pueblo and Pueblo West Colorado really, really well. And so you know the tap situations going on, you know the history of it. And whenever you can start talking about some of that stuff in your negotiation um, compared to the wholesale, the house wholesaler that is, you know, looks on Zillow and says, oh, you know, I can see that in Pueblo, Colorado, vacant land is selling for $45,000 per quarter acre lot as versus this lot right here that's at the end of the road that is worth nothing because they're are not water lines extended to it. You're not going to have any development potential. I mean, that happened to me in Douglas County where I thought it hit, hit a grand slam. And I learned that, you know, due to a local improvement district out there, you know, that land is worthless now, but in about 10 years, it'll be worth four five, six hundred thousand $600,000. And it's worth about $6,000 right now. So I think knowledge of the asset class that you're working in is absolutely essential because that is what's going to differentiate you from everyone else that you're competing against. And going back to the very first point we made, uh, it makes it so where you know you have a deal because, you know, say it's one of these worthless lots that are not going to be worth anything for another 10 years. That doesn't mean it's not a bad play or it's a bad deal. But if you're buying it at retail prices, which I think this is what frustrates so many sellers that I talk to or, you know, going, you know, kind of going into the legitimacy point. How many people are sending blind offers if it's in a decent area or, you know, sending postcards to these people if it's in a decent area that will never follow through on a deal, even though you could make one where I was helping someone yesterday where, you know, they said they'd gotten $20,000 blind offers constantly for their land and no one has ever followed through with it. And it's because the market price of that land is worth 12 grand. And so whenever people start doing their due diligence after, you know, determining a market, I think it just pisses sellers off and you're going to lose deals and you know you you just have to know your market and you have to know your product is the uh short way to say what I very kind of much rambled about right there. No, no, that's okay. And this is why the idea of trying to pull a list of an entire county and price of an entire county is so ridiculous. Uh, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I would say that's analogous to pulling a list of industrial properties, multifamily apartments and uh, residential homes and trying to send offers on them blindly. It's incredibly stupid. And I'll t- I would love to say that to a lot of people. So uh, we'll leave that at that. Oh, yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the bigger picture of just other assets. I mean, the, you learn it for land, you get good at it for land, and it's uh, the, the concepts are applicable across the board. And so, you know, there's a multifamily seller in Pueblo, Colorado right now who I have a great rapport with who... She has me follow up, following up about every month because she's going to sell me her whole portfolio. And this is a very um, sought after portfolio. It's actually a point of uh, pride where I tease some of my friends down there who also are, are, are trying to buy any multifamily they can because uh, everyone wants her portfolio. And so uh, uh, we got that because we have a thorough understanding of direct-to-seller marketing across the board. Uh, regardless of asset class and avatar. And uh, as a corollary to that, our follow-up and negotiating is is spot on. So we need to talk about that too. But uh, Mason, let's talk a little bit about other assets. What do you do if 
you're an expert in land, but you decide, hey, I need I need some depreciation. How do I go get an apartment? Well, I think it it's exactly what we're saying. Of think about the think about the asset class first, and what would make it a good deal. And you have to be very very specific with what that is and what your what your buy box is, um, because if your goal, you know, for for the type of marketing that we're doing, our intention for the most part is flipping it in some capacity, uh, flipping it either, you know, just buy it for cheap, sell it for more. You know, I've said it before of, you know, my active business, I'm a pawn shop for land. Um, I buy things for cheap for people that don't want them and I sell them for more to people that do want them. Um, but I think that, uh, once you can, you take that approach and you identify that your intentions here is to make it a long-term investment opportunity, you can be really specific with your buy box where my buy box with land is can I make money on this? And that right there is, you know, my deal criteria. And then I obviously have metrics associated with annualized return versus cash on cash return and all that stuff. But if I'm looking for, say, you know, it's 2023, um, you know, you can capture up to 80%, um, you know, through front end bonus depreciation this year through a cost segregation study. And I'm looking to write off approximately $200,000. So typically, you know, with a cost seg study, you know, what would you say for small multifamily, Dan? You know, 30%-ish is what you could depreciate. Yeah, I just got a quote on this. Multifamily, 30 to 32, 33%. So if you can capture 80% of that, you're going to be looking at a property that's in between 900000 and $1.1 million um, to capture that front-end bonus depreciation. And if you don't know what that is, uh, just Google it. Um, and so that right there gives you your criteria for the asset's value. Um, of what that asset is going to be worth. And so you can do one of two things. There is you can go just find one on market and talk to a realtor that's an expert in this type of property or talk to wholesalers that are experts in this and have them go out and find it. But if you're going to do it yourself, what you need to do is figure out who that avatar is that owns that exact property and align your marketing with them. And what you're going to run into in a place like that is you're going to be a lot more competitive. It's going to be a lot more competitive. Everyone is looking for that 900,000 to $1.1 million property that has, you know, whatever cash flow metrics and everything. Um, to a certain extent, some people will buy it just for depreciation if you're worth a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars or anything like that. So, um, Dan, what do you, what do you think that that avatar is that owns that property? Because you know, people that own that property. Tell me about them. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest pain points they have is they bought it a long time ago and they've depreciated it entirely. And so, ooh, that tax bill if they sell is going to be rough. And so, uh, 1031, I put that when when I got in touch with this seller, have it, or emphasizing that I'd be willing to work with them on a 1031 was a big appeal to them. And then the other big uh, uh, pain point for a lot of these sellers, there's a guy who owns a ton of single family houses. I've already bought one from him on seller financing. Uh, his pain point is, well, I want this to be a legacy for my kids. I want that and to continue getting paid, but they don't know how to manage rentals. They're not landlords. They're not real estate. So seller financing is another thing that many of these people want to offer, but they don't necessarily know how to offer it. And they don't know if you're legitimate. That's the big thing. They'd love to offer it. So anyways, showing, and this is hard to do and might be more in the negotiation than it is just in the marketing piece because it's a lot to communicate, but showing I'm legitimate. I have experience. I have capital 
and I'm, I, I can be trusted as ultimately a borrower for them to sell on seller financing to is another big pain point. So those are the two I'm seeing for small multifamily. If you're talking 300 units, you're dealing with a totally different demographic. But for you know the lady in Pueblo West that has 30 units or the guy who has 16 houses in Colorado Springs, uh, they want to be able to 1031 if it's a cash sale. And then if it's not, they don't, uh, they're, they want to keep getting that income, but they don't want to manage. So, so showing, uh, legitimacy and, and ability to manage and ultimately be a, a buyer on terms is another way to address their pain. Exactly. And I, I think that it's, you, you distinguish between the 300 unit owner versus the, you know, 10 to 30 unit owner. And I think that, uh, while, you might look at someone that owns 30 units as this really great, sophisticated investor. If they purchased or built that property 40 or 50 years ago, it was easy back then um, or easier back then than it is now to be, maybe achieve that level of net worth and asset class. And you can just you know, compare median income versus median housing prices and stuff. And so while they might own these properties free and clear, you know, because they were on, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 year mortgages back in the day. And, you know, so help them solve their problems of, you know, and it, and it goes back into, so you've, you've identified this property, you figured out this avatar that, you know, just based on marketing materials and iterating, you know, from, you know, direct mail to cold calling to door knocking or whatever it is to get in front of them. So you can start, uh, you know, defining that avatar for them figure out what their pain points are. And the way to figure that out is like figure out once again, you know, kind of going back to what I said about in, you know, intention with the original use of the property, what is it they want? You know, do they want money for their kids? Are they the type of person that would lose money on a deal, you know, so they don't have to pay taxes um, because some people will, you know, avoid taxes like it's the plague. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do they, you know, what, whatever it is, do they want monthly cash flow? You can figure out a creative solution to the deal. And so, and then you can work backwards from there. And then it's just a numbers play of, okay, does this give me what I want? You know, is it still a good deal if I do, you know, some seller financing deal where, you know, it's a, you know, 5% five year note amortized over 30 years, which is a seller finance deal that I have on the commercial property that I own. Um, and it absolutely works, but it's just uh, right there taking those skills. And, you know, we wrote down some of these skills that you gain and that you need to have uh, communication of you have to be appropriately communicating with these people and matching your language to who they are. The 300 unit apartment owner you're going to be talking to them so much differently than the person that has owned land in Pueblo, Colorado for 30 years. Um, yes. You know, negotiation of, you know, learning, you know, uh, never split the difference by Chris Voss is a really easy read about negotiation and, you know, anchor them with a certain price and do all these different t tips and techniques uh, to make sure that you're getting the number that you desire or a better number. Um, you know, don't make assumptions going into it, thinking about what they want until they tell you what they want. Um, relationship building. That lady is going to sell you her portfolio more likely than she would sell it to anyone else because you've developed a relationship with her. Um, doing research and understanding your market and understanding your property, um, that gives you so much legitimacy in the business. Um, and persistence. I think that's something you talk about all the time of, you know, right now we were chatting at, or at the gym yesterday, we were chatting about it. Of All your current deals right now have come from when? Like, when were you marketing these people? Mailers nine to 12 months ago. 
couple exceptions, but most of them from almost a year. And that follow-up right there is so crucial because it's recognize how much money it's going to make you in the long run of these deals of, you know, if one call every month for five or 10 minutes, and by the end of it, by a year, you've been doing it for an hour, you've spent an hour on the phone with this person, it's going to make you 20 grand. I, 20 grand an hour is really good. Like that's a great, you know, there's, there's 2080, uh, you know, working hours in a year. I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, if you can do that and then problem solving, solve these people's problems, figure out what they need, figure out what they want. And I think if you can master all these skills, your ability to do this direct to seller marketing that we're talking about, especially within real estate is going to put you just so, so far ahead against your competition. Yeah, and this is hard to do from day one, but to our point earlier about really knowing your asset, so that guy with all the houses in the springs where I bought one on seller financing, one of the reasons I got a great deal on that is because it had a messed up foundation. And I have a lot of experience dealing with that, and I made that very clear to him. And so one of the main reasons I got that deal is because he was confident that if he financed it to me, that I could properly solve that problem because I know my asset, I know housing, I know construction. And so I got the deal where a lot of other people tried to get that deal. And it's also why I was talking to him yesterday. He's got six more he wants to sell. And I don't know if we'll make an agreement on those. I don't love these ones. But point being, he wants to sell them to me on terms because he's confident that I know how to operate them and that I will pay him. Uh, And so knowing your asset is really, really important. Sellers will respect you so much more of you're you're not trying to screw them over. It's it's a numbers game for you with this. And it's dude, these are the numbers that work for me. You know I'll close if we can come to an agreement based on these numbers. And then it turns into a legitimate business transaction instead of holy crap, if it's a million dollar deal and you're negotiating over three thousand dollars, like get over yourself. And that's what so many people are trying to do because they think that that $3,000 is going to impact them today and now. And it just, you know, if the number, if you don't know what your numbers are, you know, and you don't know yourself and you don't know your business, you know, which is something we didn't even really get into, you know, beyond talking a little bit about the buy box of, if you don't have a clear expectation for yourself and your business, then what are you even doing? Because, you know, you, you know, and you have to understand your asset class and all that stuff and everything that we talked about, but you know, I, I said of like any land deal that makes money, you know, and, and while I, I was being, you know, just like quick and blunt about it, it's more like, okay, well, this is what my operating cost is. This is my cost per lead. This is what my, um, you know, cost for capital is, you know, on joint venture deals. And this is what my commission to my, you know, realtors, all, all associated closing costs and compensation, you know, to acquisition manager and everything like that. And if I'm making, you know, X number of dollars, then I'm very happy with the deal. And you have to understand your business well enough to, you know, if you're only making $1,000 on every deal that you're doing in your business and your cost per lead is $1,700, dude, you're, you're losing a lot of money. So you have to know yourself and know your business. Um, even before, you know, your asset class, um, is just one, one point kind of, I wanted to make, uh, before we go into how does this translate into other businesses or other niches within, or I guess we talked about niches within real estate, but how, how could this maybe affect a different business? And, um, you know, Dan, if you want to jump into, you know, another business use that you think that this specific, 
skill set would be really useful. Well, yeah, right at the beginning, you mentioned that we're talking about going direct to seller as opposed to trying to sell one of our product to a buyer. And there is absolutely a difference. But the big picture uh, skills, the overarching skills of learning how to identify your avatar's pain points and create a marketing and then, of course, the corresponding negotiating and follow-up strategy to get their attention and have them come to you when that need, whether it's to sell or buy something, is needed, uh, is really what we're talking about. So doing this teaches you not just communication skills and negotiation, but really how to you know, create a consistent, or it's not the word, a long-term marketing campaign and capture a portion of the market. You know, so you're to your point about this being a longer term sales cycle just for land, right? Uh, uh, I, I I would like to think that anyone in Pueblo West Colorado that wants to sell their land is most likely to call me because they've gotten 20 some mailers from me. And so no matter what business you're in, these concepts are really important because you need to create that sort of you know uh, awareness in your customer's mind, whether you're trying to sell something to them or have them uh, uh, sell you their asset. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the new thing I keep hearing from, you know, younger people of what's sexy in the investment investing world is, is going out and buying businesses. Um, you know, the greatest transfer of wealth is happening right now. So we're seeing that in the real estate world of, you know, the baby boomers that are looking to get rid of their properties or the silent generation that, <laughs> you know, has recently passed and the baby boomers inherited the property and don't know what to do with it. But all these businesses go down the street, go look at strip centers and look how many businesses have maybe been there for 20, 30 years. Um, you know, that's an opportunity to use these exact skills of the direct to seller marketing. Um, but then, you know, the D to C, you know, the direct to customer, direct to buyer opportunity that the skills are very, very similar. The marketing channels might be a little bit different. Um, but dude, Direct mail works, um, and it can work with again. You know, you're you're trying to sell a product or anything like that. And I think one of the biggest things that you have to look at is, you know, is it a product or a service? And you know, with uh, you know, when you're doing direct to seller marketing, you're more so providing a service rather than a product. Uh, versus when you're going to direct to buyer, are you providing a service or a product? And you know, for us who you know, we both own coaching and consulting businesses now where I think one of the biggest things for us is where we have success where other people might not is it's about legitimacy and it's, Hey, like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're telling you. We're not going to promise you, you know, make $20,000 in your first month doing that, you know? And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's knowing your product and knowing your avatar and making sure it matches up for you where, you know, with coaching and consulting, I, decline a lot of people that want to do business with me because I know they're never going to do a deal and it's wasting time and wasting money. And, you know, talk about a place where there's a lot of scamming that right there is there's so much scamming and in order to have success, you have to be legitimate and you have to market yourself as a legitimate person in the, in the business. Yeah. I just wanted to, you said direct to seller, uh, mail can work very well, even when you're trying to, I said direct seller, because I'm so saying that direct to uh, buyer, if you're trying to sell a product, well, this neighborhood I'm in is pretty high elevation and uh, we got a massive hailstorm last month. And so my skylight has holes in it and my roof is just wrecked. And what do you know, a big postcard, do you need a new roof showed up at my house and 
I did. And I don't know, uh, I don't have a, a preferred roofer. So they were one of the people I called. So, uh, there's a great example of just like we send direct mail, uh, companies that, that sell a product have success doing the same. Absolutely. And well, and, and that's why consistency is, you know, the name of the game. And this is, you know, if you're being consistent with your follow-up and your marketing, uh, you're going to have success because you never know when you're going to catch them on the right day of that's how you turn the sophisticated, unmotivated seller into the sophisticated, motivated seller, uh, because you caught them on the right day. And that avatar shifted in that moment because their car broke down that day or whatever it was. And that right there, my guess is was targeted. Um, uh, there was a big hailstorm, and all the roofing companies sent direct mail and you happened to open their postcard and said, Hmm, I like that. I need a new roof. Um, so you just never know. So you have to be consistent with it. Uh, but Dan, any, anything else you want to leave, leave the peoples with, um, talking about this subject? No, no. I think as with anything, it's a matter of doing it over the long term and iterating, looking at the feedback and, uh, uh, adjusting accordingly. Heck yeah. Awesome. Well, that was one. Dan Habercost and Mason McDonald with the Big Picture Blueprint signing off. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.